Accessible Art History, the podcast, Season 11. As mentioned in the trailer, this season will focus solely on women artists. Too often, they've been relegated to the sidelines of art and history. So, I want to feature them and teach you about how they overcame adversity to change the world around them. All images and sources will be in the associated blog post linked in the description details. Make sure to follow at accessible.art.history on Instagram for all updates. So, without further ado, let's get started. In this episode, we're finally moving into the 20th century. Augusta Savage was not only an incredible sculptor, but she worked hard to educate the next generation of artists. She was a pivotal figure in the Harlem Renaissance and fought for the rights of her fellow Black artists. So to learn more about this amazing woman artist, keep on listening. Augusta Christine Fells was born in Greencoast Springs, Florida on Leap Day, 1892. Her father, Edward Fells, was a Methodist minister and her mother, Cornelia Murphy, was a homemaker. She was the seventh of 14 children. From a young age, Savage was fascinated by art. Her earliest sculptures were of animals and made of the red clay that was abundant in her hometown. However, her father did not encourage her art. In fact, according to her own writings, Fells used to beat his daughter whenever she tried to sculpt. This was because he believed that Augusta's art violated the second commandment prohibiting the creation of graven images. When she was a teenager, the principal of Augusta's high school recognized her talent and encouraged her to explore sculpture further. In fact, he even allowed her to teach a clay sculpting class. This would not only help her artistic skill, but started a lifelong passion for art education. In 1907, at the age of 15, Augusta married her first husband, John T. Moore. About a year later, her only child, Irene Connie Moore, was born. Shortly after their daughter's birth, Moore died. 1915 was a big year for Augusta. Firstly, her family moved to West Palm Springs. However, a lack of their support and material meant that she didn't sculpt for almost four years. That same year, Augusta married a carpenter named James Savage. This is where she received the surname that she would be known by for the rest of her life. Sadly, the couple would divorce in the early 1920s. Finally, in 1919, a local sculptor shared clay with Savage so that she continued to practice her art. Inspired, she created a group of sculptural figures and entered it into a local contest. Excitingly, Savage was awarded a $25 prize and the ribbon for the most original exhibit. This is what truly launched her artistic career. Emboldened by her success, she left little Irene with her parents and moved to the, quote, big city of Jacksonville. However, she didn't find the success there that she wanted to. So, with $4.60 in her pocket and a dream, Savage moved to New York City. Once she arrived in 1921, she applied to the Cooper Union School. It was likely the only one she could afford to continue her education at because her tuition was primarily scholarship-based. Her talent certainly spoke for itself because not only was she admitted ahead of 142 men, but she was given additional scholarship funds to help pay for room and board. Savage completed the four-year program in a mere three years. During this time, she lived in a small studio apartment in Harlem, putting her smack dab in the middle of the Harlem Renaissance. Savage quickly gained a reputation as a portrait bust sculpture and captured the images of famous people like W.E.B. Dubois and Marcus Garvey. In 1923, she married her third and final husband, Robert L. Poston, a protege of Garvey. However, he tragically passed of pneumonia while on a ship from Liberia. That same year, Savage applied for and won a scholarship for the summer art program at the Fontainebleau School of Fine Arts in France. However, when the committee and French government found out that she was a black woman, they rescinded their offer so as not to uh, offend some of their benefactors. Although the story and Savage's fight for equality reached papers on both sides of the Atlantic was to no avail. It wouldn't be until 1929 that Savage received another chance to travel to Europe. That year, her work Gammon, 
an informal portrait of her nephew, won her the Julius Rosenwald Fellowship, which granted her the opportunity to study in Paris. Her study was also supported in part from donations from the Urban League, a Carnegie Foundation grant, and financial gifts from friends and former teachers. While there, she found much success. Not only did Savage study with Felix Benetau at the Académie de la Grande Chaumée, but she also showed at two different salons. In 1930, Savage was awarded a second fellowship, which allowed her to travel to Paris, Belgium, and Germany to further study art. Next, we're going to discuss Savage's life and career after she returned home to New York. But first, let's take a quick break. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now that we're back, let's dive into Savage's American career. She returned to New York City in 1932 after a couple of years abroad. That same year, she established the Savage Studio of Arts and Crafts to provide a space for young artists to learn and grow. You may recognize some of her students' names, Jacob Lawrence, Gwendolyn Knight, Norman Lewis, and Kenneth B. Clark. Opening a studio was especially important as the Great Depression has caused art sales to become nearly non-existent. It gave her something else to focus on and created a sense of community within the area. Eventually, the studio evolved into the Harlem Community Art Center, and more than 1,500 students passed through its doors. In fact, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt attended its grand opening. I like the way that Dr. Cook for the New York Times described her cause. Traditionally, Black people have been excluded from the academic learning space. But by creating her own space, not only did Savage create a strong sense of community, she afforded many students with opportunities that she never had in her own life. She brought a Black identity into the art world. This mission was recognized when, in 1934, Savage was the first African-American artist to be elected to the National Association of Women Painters and Sculptors. This was a true jumping-off point for her career. In fact, she was one of four women and only two African-Americans commissioned to create art for the 1939 World's Fair being held in New York City. For the fair, she created a work called Lift Every Voice and Sing, also known as The Harp. It was based off of a line from a song by James Weldon and Rosamond Johnson. It was made of plaster and measured at 16 feet tall. The heart-shaped piece was made up of a choir of 12 young people. It was extremely popular, but Savage didn't have the funds to cast it in bronze, so it was sadly destroyed at the fair's end. Thankfully, photographs and small reproductions survived for modern viewers to enjoy it. Savage's style can best be described as honest. Her portrait bust captured the setter's personalities and individual characteristics without over-exaggerating them. In a time when black artists and subjects were rare, she documented them for the world to see. It's clear that Savage took time to explore her subjects and really coax the clay to do her bidding. This is why she is not only one of the greatest women artists in history, but one of the greatest artists in history. 
Sadly, after returning from her work on the World's Fair, Savage discovered that her position at the Harlem Center had been given to someone else. Then she was dealt another blow when World War II cut all federal funding to the arts and forced the center to close. Depressed, she left New York City and moved to a town called Shigertis, near the Catskill Mountains. For the next 20 years, she taught local children and wrote books, though none of them were published. Savage died of cancer on March 27, 1962, at the age of 70. In a horrible twist, she was essentially forgotten about because of her move and her students' fame. It wasn't until fairly recently that her works and contributions to racial equality in art have been recognized. Augusta Savage was quoted as saying, I was a leap year baby, and it seems to me that I have been leaving ever since. And this couldn't be more true. Not only was she an immensely talented artist, but she worked hard to teach others and fight for racial equality in a time in American history when that was nearly impossible. I'm glad that she's finally getting the recognition that she deserves. Make sure to tune in next week when I cover the life and works of the one and only Frida Kahlo. Thank you for listening to this episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. New episodes will premiere each Monday, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rate and review. Make sure you follow Accessible Art History on Instagram at accessible.art.history for all updates and daily art of the day posts. See you next time!